Okay, we think about the resurrection this morning. I believe, so in the creed, I believe Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Now, the observant of you will know there's another line. He descended to the dead. That is the line about which there is more debate than any other line in the entire of the creed, by miles. And so we're going to save it and give it its own special session a bit later on. Um, basically when I haven't messed the timetable up. So we will come back to it, but we are skipping it today. And uh, we're jumping to the resurrection. On the third day, he arose again. Hey guys, welcome. Um, and we're going to start round tables, just with a bit of discussion, which is, we know that the, um, the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. Uh, and so Jesus can say to the disciples on the Emmaus Road, you know, how slow are you? Okay, how hard of heart? Do you not know that the law and the prophets in the Old Testament says that the Christ must suffer and after that be glorified? So that, that, that downward suffering of, of Jesus, the cross, and then the raising up afterwards is in the Old Testament. So I, we, we, might be, we might be okay at thinking of Old Testament passages or stories that prophesy or picture the crucifixion, but just for a couple of minutes round tables, have a go at the resurrection. Where in the Old Testament might you go to show that one day there will be this great resurrection of Jesus? Or even just resurrection in general. Okay, so Old Testament resurrection. Have a go at that. Just for two or three minutes to, to get your brains working. Okay. Um, let, let's, have some, let's have some feedback. There's lots of right answers. So Old Testament for resurrection. Where might you go? Start picking on tables. If you don't volunteer. Job 19, which says? Okay, I, I know my Redeemer lives. Get, get, gets a glimpse of something. There's a Redeemer who's going to be a live Redeemer, not a dead sacrifice. Thanks, Emily. Jonah. Jonah. Okay, brilliant. Jonah. Three days in the whale and then raised again. Thanks, Maria. Um, anyone else want to tell us what someone else thinks? Um, <laughs> Yeah, Jonah's classic. Obviously, that's the big one Jesus goes to. Yes, Peter. Isaiah 53:10. Okay, gone. About prolonging his days. Okay. So the suffering servant. So he, he's he's crushed, he's bruised, pierced for our transgressions, and then God prolongs his days. He sees the light again. So that that famous passage, he was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. It ends up with with a resurrection. Yep. Um. God, any more for any more? Hosea 6. Who said that? Return to the Lord. He's torn us that, he's, that he may heal us. He struck us down. He will bind us up after two days. He will revive us on the third day. He will raise us up. Brilliant. Hosea 6. On the third day. Do you even hear the third dayness of that one? Okay. Two days of brokenness. On the third day, raised up. Brill? Uh, Ezekiel 37. On the bones come back to the right. Okay, death to life in Ezekiel 37. Nice. Was that a hand? No, I'm oh, sorry, I thought that was a hand at the back. I'm not going to put you on the spot if it's not. That's Daniel, Daniel 12. Daniel 12. Um, talked about those uh, who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake and some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting life. Yeah, that's, what's interesting on that one? Hey, morning, welcome. Um, there's a space there. 
Um, interesting about that one is it talks about, so Daniel 12, a general resurrection. Paul quotes that in Acts. A resurrection of everybody. Interestingly, it's one of the, one of the few hints you get of a kind of resurrection, not just of the believers, but of unbelievers. Quite what that looks like. Obviously, people don't get resurrection bodies in a kind of glorified way. It's quite what that looks like. I don't know, but it's a, it's a very interesting Old Testament passage that's quoted in, in Acts. Um, okay, great. Loads more we might do. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, it's the first half of the psalm is all about the crucifixion, but then halfway through it turns, I will proclaim your, uh, your name amongst my brothers in the congregation, Jesus says. So lots in the Old Testament. Just look at 1 Corinthians 15. That's going to be our, our main chapter for today. We'll dip elsewhere. But 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> which really, if you were going to have one chapter in the Bible about the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15 is the, the key one, really. We've not got time to read it all. But we'll, if you keep a finger in it, it'll be the kind of the anchor we keep returning to. Just to mix metaphors. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and I'll read the first three verses now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you which you received in which you stand and by which you're being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried interesting the burial is part of the good news come back to it as I said um, that he was uh, well, lost place. that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve so again according to the scriptures which when Paul writes 1 Corinthians is the Old Testament the New Testament doesn't exist yet so in accordance with the Old Testament we should be able to see that Christ not only died for our sins but was raised and even raised on the third day um, I put on your sheet so I'm on number one on your sheet now resurrection what was it um, first of all, it was, it was prophesied. You picked up loads of these. It's there in prophecies. Um, we had some of them uh, mentioned around the tables. I put the Isaiah 16, um, 10 one. So in, um, not Isaiah, sorry, Psalm 16, 10, which Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost. Um, so he's spoken about Jesus being crucified and killed and buried. But he goes on to say, he quotes Psalm 16, 10, you will not let my soul, so you'll not abandon my soul to Sheol. Sheol's the kind of grave. Or let your Holy One see decay. The Holy One, the Messiah, your chosen King, he's not going to decay, Peter quotes from the Psalms. And then he goes on to say, how's that true? Well, it's true because whilst David is rotting in the grave, Jesus isn't. He's risen again. All sorts of Old Testament prophecies we could go to. There are pictures too. Uh, we had Jonah, which is the most famous one. <clears throat> excuse me um, but even even sort of big picture so there's things like um, Abraham remember Abraham is told to sacrifice his son Isaac his only son so, and, and when you read Genesis 22 there's lots of emphasis on you know am I going to give my only son and he walks up Mount Moriah which is the, the, the mountain that later the temple will be built on the, the mountain of sacrifice carrying the wood on his back um, it's, it's just it's so evocative and it's very obvious, you know, as you know, at the last minute, Abraham's son is spared in a way that God's won't be. But it's so obviously a sort of pattern, a picture uh, of the crucifixion. But what's interesting is, where is, well, two things I think are interesting about that from our point of view this morning. The first is that Hebrews, when, when the book of Hebrews looks back on that incident, um, 
it, it answers the question that we all ask, which is, you know, how could how could Abraham think it was right to sacrifice his boy? His, his boy? Everyone knows child sacrifice is awful. What what's going on? Um, and how could God ask for that to happen? And Hebrews rightly interprets Genesis two, 22 and says, um, Abraham real reasoned that he would get his son back from the dead. As if he knew that wasn't the end. It wasn't death. I mean, I don't think Abraham knew that there would be a substitute at the last minute. That was a kind of twist. But he did realise that God was going to bring Isaac back from the dead because Isaac is the one through whom the kind of promised Messiah would come. So it can't be the end. So even that is a little picture of resurrection, albeit kind of shadowy. And interestingly, we're told that it happens on the third day. On the third day, Isaac and Abraham return. Um, so little, little pictures um, and patterns too. Um, I, these, these are sort of fascinating. When you start looking at them in the Old Testament, you can't prove any one of them absolutely. But when you start putting them together, I think you do get a bit of a, a sort of mosaic forming of the different pieces. So lots of things in the Old Testament end up happening on the third day or after three days. Um, so we talked about the Jonah one, the Abraham and Isaac one. God appears to his people on Mount Sinai on the third day. Um, very little happens on the second day or the fourth day or the fifth day or the sixth day. Things tend to happen on the third day or on the eighth day. And the eighth day is the first day of the new week, isn't it? Um, when did Jesus rise from the dead? He rose from the dead on the third day after the Friday. Jews count inclusively, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Or the other emphasis in the New Testament is he rose on the first day of the week. The new week. Again, Jewish weeks. First day is Sunday, as is ours, technically. And so when you look at the Old Testament, it's, it's just interesting that, for example, you have to um, circumcise your child on the eighth day. The eighth day is the day of, of new life, in other words. Um, tab- the tabernacle, when they build the tabernacle, Aaron disappears inside the tabernacle when they've got it all set up um, for... for seven days and on the eighth day as in the first day of the new week he comes out of the tabernacle and worship begins the high priest re-emerges and on the first day of the week worship begins so there's all these little hints going on I think even back then anyway you can think about that uh, in your own time as you read the Old Testament it was prophesied um, but secondly it was physical it was physical I put a Luke 24 on your sheet hopefully this is familiar territory so Jesus appears to the disciples. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Now, even that is significant. The, 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 the Jewish people, and therefore the disciples, they weren't expecting a physical resurrection. So they knew the verses that we've talked about. They knew particularly the Daniel one that Nick mentioned. But, but the idea was, for most Jewish people, that one day everyone would rise again from the dead. What they weren't expecting is one guy in the middle of history to pop up. They were expecting what we're expecting now, which is at the end of time, everybody rises from the dead. Okay, or at least all the faithful rise from the dead. And so when Jesus appears, they're not looking for it. Sometimes skeptics say, well, everyone, you know, they all believed in that sort of thing in those days. Everyone believed in... Re-. They didn't at all. Not bodily resurrection. So they think they're seeing a ghost. You know, it can't be a real physical body of Jesus' return because that just won't happen until the end of time. On the passage goes, he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. Very famously, Thomas touches you know, Jesus, doesn't he? Puts his hands and feels the physicality. 
So Jesus' resurrection body is a, a physical body. There's something different about it. So in John, John's resurrection appearances, um, Jesus appears in rooms. And you're not quite sure how he got there. It says the doors are locked. So some, I think most people read that as if he could sort of move through locked doors, which is possible, I guess. Maybe he can. Um, although John doesn't say that. So we kind of assume the door stayed solid and Jesus kind of miraculously made his body go sort of walk through the door or whatever. Maybe he made the door go soft and walk through and the body stayed hard. Who knows? But somehow he's got a, 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 a miraculously remade physical body. So when you read those sort of accounts of Jesus appearing or seemingly coming through doors or whatever, don't let you, that make you think that he's somehow just a sort of ghosty body. He is as real and physical uh, as you or I. In fact, many ways more so. He eats fish. Um, Thomas touches him. So it's physical, but it is perfected. Um, th- this is not the same body exactly that Jesus had before he died. So this isn't a resuscitation. Remember Lazarus goes into the grave he's left there Jesus turns up calls Lazarus come out and Lazarus does but the Lazarus that comes out is exactly the same as the Lazarus that went in but not so with Jesus Lazarus is resuscitated I suppose I mean he was really dead so it was raised in that sense but Lazarus died again um, so too with all the people that Jesus gave resurrection life to you know the grieving widow's son and all the rest with Jesus, his resurrection body is an, is an upgrade, if I can put it like that. He gets his glorified body, his resurrection body. So if you're in 1 Corinthians, just, just look at the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 45. And Paul compares Adam, the first man, and then Jesus, who he calls the last Adam. Um, so thus it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Okay, so God made the body, you remember the story, made him out of mud, breathed into him, spirited into him, breath of God into him, and he became a living being. The last Adam, that's Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual at first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. And here's the bit. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Now, there's loads of mysterious going on there, which we might touch on a bit later in the, in the, the session. But, but the contrast there is not between physical Adam and sort of spiritual ghosty Jesus. We know that's not, not the case. It's between first earth Adam and spiritual second earth, you know, new birth, new life, Jesus. He's got a glorified body. One of the ways you see that is that... Um, the contrast isn't between Adam after the fall. Adam as a sinner. That's what Paul does in Romans 5. But here the contrast is between Adam even just as he was created. So there's nothing wrong with him. He hasn't sinned. He's not going to die or anything. He's just, just been made. And Paul is saying Jesus' resurrection body is even better than that. So it's going to be even better than the sinless body Adam had before the fall. It's going to be glorified. In other words, um, we'll come back to that because Paul, the reason Paul's making this argument is to teach us about our own bodies. So we'll come back to why it's even better or how it's even better when you do a uh, bit of discussion in a moment. So a physical body, but a perfected body, glorified body for Jesus. 
And finally, a permanent body. Jesus ascends back to heaven at the beginning of Acts or the end of Luke. Um, He ascends back to heaven in his physical human body. He doesn't stop being a real human being. Again, sometimes people get it in their heads that he, he became a man when he came down to earth and then he did all the kind of ministry, died, rose again, showed his body around and then kind of went up to heaven and became just God again or something or became a spirit, I don't know. Um, no, he remains to this day physical. So somewhere in creation, no idea where, somewhere in creation, wherever heaven is, is Jesus. Eyes, toes, heart, lungs, liver, the whole lot. Jesus' human nature is somewhere. Um, he remains and always will remain now a human being. Let me stop there. So far, um, any questions? So far, we're going to do, we'll go on to kind of significance of the resurrection. But happy, great. So, why does it matter? Let me say a couple of things, and then you're going to do some discussion. Uh, why does the resurrection matter? <coughs> There's way more than we're going to say in like. 10 minutes or whatever we've got um, but let's pick up some of the, the high high points um, firstly the, the physical resurrection of Jesus was the beginning of the new creation the new world, the new age um, in Colossians 1 um, Paul calls Jesus the firstborn from among the dead, the firstborn he is the first of the new humanity Now, all the rest of us, as we'll see, are going to have to wait until we've died and Christ returns and then the resurrection happens. But Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. So the new age, in the the thinking of the the Bible, the new age, the new world, the new creation, it has begun. Because there is one place, at least, in all this current age that is already new creation life. And that is Jesus. Okay, There's nothing... Jesus can't get more glorified now. When Jesus returns, he's not going to be more glorified or get another upgrade on his body or anything like that. He is already there as a resurrected, glorified king of the new creation. And therefore, that's why at the moment, the two ages are overlapping. We live kind of between the ages. It's called the last days in the Bible, in the New Testament. We're still living in the eight days of the old earth, obviously. We still get old. We creak and get diseases and cancers and die and get sad and all these sort of things all these are old age you know broken fallen world realities we still live in that age but the new age that's going to be the the glorified age of eternal life joy peace no sin no suffering no death no mourning that has begun with Jesus' resurrection and so for now the two ages are kind of overlapping and we we can taste some of the blessings of it we're forgiven already we've got the the holy spirit as a sort of down payment of what's to come but we're not fully in the new age yet. We're living, as it were, stuck between the two, the two ages. But it has begun. The proof that it will come to fulfillment is that it has begun in the resurrection of Jesus. The re- new creation um, uh, has started. Um, the tomb of Christ, therefore, was the, the womb of a whole new world. Uh, the whole creation re-began uh, when he rose from the dead. And there's a kind of symmetry to it. If you think of the... Um, what are those pictures kids do like butterfly pictures is it or you know you paint on one part of the paper and then you fold it in half and it do you know what I'm talking about 
No, anyway, uh, you know, matching pictures, symmetry. Um, there's a symmetry to the Bible. So it begins with God making the world and then making Adam to, to rule over the world, A, B. Um, how does it end? Well, he, he, he matches it. He begins the new creation by making the new Adam and then one day the world will follow. So there's a kind of symmetry to it. World, Adam, Adam, world. And that leads on to the second thing. I'm going to make three things, make three points, then you're going to do discussion. So it begins a new creation. That means that it's also the enthroning of Jesus as king or Messiah. A um, couple of passages. In fact, let, let's look at these just because they're helpful, I think, or I hope they're helpful. Acts 13. It's not just that Jesus is, if you like, the first one through the gate to the new creation. He's there as king. So Acts 13, uh, 32. Paul's preaching uh, in the city in Antioch. Verse 32. We bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers. Okay, so there's the kind of Old Testament promise again. um, This he's fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As it's written in the second psalm. So again... More Old Testament quotes. You are my son, today I've begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. Um, David, the promised son of David, the promised king, will one day rule forever. And he says, therefore, this is... This has come true in Jesus. Jesus is going to be David's son who rules forever. And that's also what I think is going on at the beginning of Romans. Just one book onwards, Romans 1. So Romans 1... um, Let me read from the beginning. It's really verses, uh, well, verses three and four that, that matter for our purposes. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. And here's the bit. So God's son, Jesus, became man, was descended from David's line, and was declared to be the son of God in power a calling to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. It was the resurrection that came through the power of the spirit that declared Jesus to be the son of God in power. Now, I don't think Paul is saying there the resurrection shows Jesus is God, son of God in the kind of second verse of the Trinity sense. He is that, of course, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about um, Jesus being the Davidic king. You might know in the Old Testament that David was told, your, your sons, David, will be called sons of God. It's like a title for the king. And so that the son of God was a title for the Davidic kings. Um, so Solomon was the son of God. And Rehoboam was the son of God, albeit a misbehaving one and all the rest of it. Down the line. Son of God was a title. So Paul is saying by the resurrection, which came through the power of the spirit, God declares that this is the true Davidic human son of God who's going to rule forever and of course that's fitting because he's also the actual son of God second verse of the Trinity kind of language 
So the resurrection is the enthronement of Jesus as king and ultimately, if we looked elsewhere, as judge as well. And then finally, it's also the, the justification of Jesus. I suspect this is the one we, we probably go to, maybe not with the verse, but maybe our minds go to kind of most naturally. Um, well, actually, I think two things. If you, if you ask me why does the resurrection matter, first of all, a lot, a lot of us would think of the kind of, um, it's the proof of the gospel, the kind of apologetics. He rose from the dead, so everything must be true. And if you, you, know, you, hear, you hear these talks about the evidence for the resurrection, and if that's true, then everything else must be true. So it's got a kind of an apologetic, to use that um, slightly strange-sounding term in our ears. Apologetic means kind of argument to defend the Christian faith. It's got that sense to it. That's, that's true, I think, to a degree. The other thing is people tend to go to is it shows that the cross worked. And that, that is right. So in 1 Timothy, ooh, lost it. 1 Timothy 3, Paul sort of recites this little poem. Jesus was shown in the flesh and then justified by the Spirit. Or vindicated, maybe. But the, the word is justified, the same justification we'll be getting in our Bibles. How is Jesus justified? I think he's talking about the resurrection, the Spirit brings him back to life. Jesus isn't justified like we are. You know, we're justified as sinners when we put our faith in someone else. But our justification is, is, is the declaration that we are right with God. And Jesus was justified. He was declared to be right with God by his resurrection. It's just for Jesus, his justification came on the account of his own works. For us, we're justified on the account of Jesus' works, thankfully. But Jesus, by being raised from the dead, God was saying, yes, he was innocent. He didn't deserve to die. He was, therefore, bearing the sins of someone else, not himself. So the resurrection proves that Jesus was the innocent Lamb of God, who didn't deserve to die, and therefore was raised up on the third day as a reward for his willing substitutionary death. Uh, I love that. I think I put the quote from Herman Bavik on the sheet. It's a late Victorian, early 20th century Dutch theologian. Um, The resurrection is the Amen of the Father to the it is finished of the Son. So in the resurrection, God says, yes, your sin is, the work is finished. Says to his people, your sin is buried in the tomb. It's still there. It can't come out, but Jesus has. Um, it, it is truly finished. So there you go. Three, three significances of the resurrection. You may well be able to think of loads more. There are loads more, but we've got to pick and choose. What we're going to spend the rest of our time in is discussion about the kind of significance for us. But again, let me pause. Any questions, comments at this stage? Because then you're on your own. Happy. This is great. Last year in home group, right? Uh, I'm not going to embarrass them. Okay, my home group are here last year. But last year, the resurrection came up in home group. And someone suddenly said, actually, why does it matter that Jesus rose again? Total bafflement all round. So uh, part of the reason for doing this morning is picking up the significance of the resurrection, hopefully a bit clearer. Um, Roundtables then. We're going to think about some of the significance of the the resurrection for us. Um, This guy called Gavin Orland said the resurrection isn't just proof of the gospel, but part of the gospel. Um, So what I've been trying to argue is the cross shows us what Jesus paid. The resurrection shows us what he's promising. So with that in mind, all we've seen about Jesus' resurrection... Look at the following passages. What do they tell you about Jesus' resurrection body and about ours? Most, one in Philippians, the rest are all 1 Corinthians 15. Again, round tables. Got 10 minutes or so. Over to you.
Okay. Um, let's come back together so we're through in time with the service. But let, let's work through those. Um, Philippians 3, fairly obvious, just makes the point our bodies will be like his. So as Jesus' body is, resurrection body is, so will ours be. And then 1 Corinthians 15, he puts some, let's say, flesh on the bones. Look at that. It uh, wasn't meant to be a pun. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, but begins, I, I quite like verses 35 and 36. What's our resurrection body going to be like? What a stupid question. You know? Stop asking me stupid questions. No idea. Um, but I am not going to write a whole chapter about it. But still, stupid question. Um, so, his big point in those, those first verses is, we don't really know. It's like an acorn and an oak tree. You can look at an acorn and it's pretty hard to work out what an oak tree is going to look like afterwards. Seeds and, and fruit. You look at a poppy seed, you're going to be a genius if you can work out that a poppy seed turns into a poppy. So we don't know fully what, what it's going to be like. There's something quite comforting about that, I think. Um, because we don't know, do we? What, what happens, just to generalise a little bit, what happens the moment after you die? Really know. I mean, you can big picture, you know, you go to heaven and things. But what's that like? I don't know, really. Um, but that's okay. Uh, part of faith is trusting that God's got this. Okay, I don't know, but he's promised it's going to be okay. So I can sort of plunge into that unknown confidently that he has got it, even though I don't really know where I'm going and quite what's happening. Um, and the same with the resurrection bodies. But he then does go on to, to talk about what they're like. Um, verse 42. Okay, let's over to the floor. Uh, verse 42, what's the point? What's the good thing about the resurrection body? Can't die. Can't die, okay? So, impossible to die again. Never going to die again. Imperishable. Um, 43. What will we not be able to do in the resurrection? Sin, yeah? Or suffer. So, no more sinning or suffering in the resurrection body. You just won't. Okay, so it's not going to be like resetting the clock and going back to the Garden of Eden. No danger of, of a second fall or anything like that. Um, and then, oh sorry, verse 44 um, is about glory. Um, so you'll never suffer. It's going to be this heavenly body um, no longer able to, no longer a kind of first earth, possible to fall, possible to sin, possible to die, but a, a glorified spiritual body. Um, so, Hints, albeit not all the details um, fleshed out. Can't keep using the same phrase. Um, okay, we need to wrap up. Any last questions? Going, going, gone. Bro, let me pray, and then we'll head next door. Father in heaven, there is so much about death that uh, naturally frightens us. Uh, we confess we lack faith and hope on many occasions but we see that you promised that if we put our trust in you that um, our futures are safe even when we don't know where uh, exactly we're going what exactly things will look like and so we pray that you would strengthen our hope we praise you for the resurrection of Jesus uh, showing that death is not the end that death is not one uh, give us great confidence we pray as your people and might that confidence shine out to the world around uh, bless us this morning as we meet to, get, uh, to worship I pray particularly for little Levi that you will uh, fulfill in him, give him all the gifts promised to him um, in his baptism. Father, do good to your people, we pray. Uh, because of your mercy, we ask. Amen.